Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning, Trinity. My name is Sashi. I was born in India. I came to New York City about 25 years ago. I was in New York City for about four years, then moved to Memphis, Tennessee for about eight years, and came back to the Big Apple, and have been here ever since. By God's providence, one Sunday morning, returning from a church in Park Avenue, we walked past the Trinity family, Trinity Baptist Church. What appealed to my family was the crowd outside the church, looked vibrant, a community with people from all ages and cosmopolitan. Trinity Baptist has been my family ever since. Pastor James has been more than a pastor to me and my family. Dave Page has been a friend to me since then. We have shared our joys and sorrows. I come from India. India is a vast country represented by all religions. My family are Indian Orthodox Christians. Christianity came to my state through St. Thomas via Syria even before they were Christians in Europe. Subsequently, the Portuguese and the English brought Catholicism and Protestantity to my state. Services are in Aramaic and the local language, much like the Greek Orthodox Church. Our bishops have Greek names because Greek was the literary language of the East before the Romans. We are commonly called as Orthodox Syrian Christians. The beauty and greatness of Christianity is that, in spite of the various denominations, we are at, we are at heart and in our souls Christians. There is no other religion in the world other than us Christians where we, where we could walk into any church and pray and be accepted. Look at me, accepted by Trinity Baptist family and by a pastor from Texas. <laughs> it's great, right? My, My wife Susan's faith in our Lord has inspired us our family's spiritual journey encountering all the tribulations we have passed through. It is her faith and reverence that has pointed us to God. When we count the blessings from the Lord and how we achieved it, it cannot be on our merits, but only on his grace and benevolence. Faith in our Lord can help you conquer all the obstacles. And when they pass by, only God's blessings are there. Let us pray for our Christian missionaries all, all over the world and for all the churches and the church in USA. We are all one church, one body, and we are loved by God. My name is Sashi, and I am all in. Thank you. Our scripture today is taken from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shabbat. He was plowing with 12 yoke oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah 
and became his servant the word of the lord thanks sashi happy new year everyone i don't have any pictures of my granddaughter today so there you go um so last week, uh, James taught, um, talked about New Year's resolutions, and it was, that was the perfect lead-in to this series that we're launching today, which is called All In, and it's about commitment. It's about the power of commitment in our lives. And so to get us uh, started, I'd like for you to, to do something that we started last fall, and, and we, I want you to get in these small conversation groups, three or four people, and introduce yourself. And then I'd like for you to answer one of two questions. The first question is, what New Year's resolution have you already broken? Um, and if you can't answer that one, then the second question is, why didn't you make any resolutions? Because if you haven't already broken it, then you're on to the second question. All right. So turn groups of three and four, introduce yourself, and then answer one of those two questions, and you've got about 90 seconds. Okay. All right, full disclosure, pastoral confession. It's January the 8th. I made a resolution, and I haven't even started it. So I don't know if that means I've technically broken it or not, but I haven't even gotten there. So we're going we're gonna to be talking about commitment for the next, um, well, today and the next seven Sundays. And the amazing power of making commitments and keeping commitments in our lives. And commitment's kind of a scary word because we live in a, you know, no strings attached, keep your options open, always have an exit strategy kind of world because we're always thinking maybe something better will come along, right? You know, if I commit to doing something with you, then what if something better comes along? I have to miss out on that and I don't want to miss out on that, so I'm not going to commit to anything with you. What if I, you know, commit to marrying you. What if I change? Or if I commit to marrying you, what if you change? You see, commitment is, is a promise about the future. And the future is kind of out there and it's a little scary. And, and, you know, what if I commit to be your friend and we have conflict and I don't really like you anymore, you know? What, or what if, what if I commit to follow God and then God doesn't show up the way I think he should show up and then I start to have my doubts that God even exists? See, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And so I have a hard time committing. Um, we like to stay committed or uncommitted and there's another word for uncommitted that we all like to use. And somebody in the first service said, flaky? <laughs> no, it's not flaky. We like, we like to use the word free, right? If I stay uncommitted, then I'm free. I'm free to 
do whatever I want, see who, whomever I want, say whatever I want. You know, I'm just, the, the key to freedom, conventional wisdom says, is avoid commitment. Because if you aren't committed, then you are free. But there's another opinion. And this, I will admit, is a minority opinion. And this minority opinion says that if you, um, it is only really people who make commitments and keep commitments who enter into real freedom. There's a a Christian writer by the name of G.K. Chesterton who wrote a fabulous essay where he said, the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. So I'm I'm looking out there and I'm saying, at at this time and place, because I'm making a commitment, I am not free to do other things, but rather I'm not free to love another woman. I'm not free to spend that money on myself. I'm not free to do this or that because I've made this commitment. And yet, somehow, this not free commitment leads to a deeper freedom than all the options and escape clauses in a commitment-phobic world would would seem to offer. You see, it's the commitment maker who gains freedom to love and to growth and to community and to real meaning in life. The commitment avoider becomes a slave. Commitment avoiders become slaves to whatever desires come along at any given time. Um, Jesus spoke about this minority opinion in John chapter 8. He put it like this. He said, if you obey my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And a few verses later, he says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, if you commit yourself to obedience, that will actually lead into freedom freedom for you to become the person that God has created you to be. And if you're free to do whatever you want to do, or if you follow that kind of thinking, then what you end up doing is being a slave to sin. Making a commitment, even though it's hard work, is nothing to be afraid of. Making a commitment... Um, in the right spirit to the right obligation or the right assignment or the right value or the right person is the noblest thing that a human being can do. The reason that we're drawn to commitments is because we alone in all of creation were made in the image of God. And God is a commitment-making, commitment-keeping God. And we were made in his image. See, only, God, only human beings can make promises. Only human beings can make commitments. Only a human being can say, I will meet you next Tuesday. I will serve on your team. I will keep that secret. I will have your back. You can count on me. Only human beings can do that. A dog cannot make a commitment. A, 
If a dog could, a dog would, and a dog would die trying to keep that commitment. A cat cannot keep that commitment. If a cat could, a cat would, and that cat would break that commitment and then laugh in your face in their quiet cat way. Because that's what cats do. No cat lovers here, right? You know, I know people who own cats and they don't even like cats. People who follow God are commitment makers. Not just that, but people who follow God make what look from the outside like outrageous commitments. And they do it with fierce joy. Because it changes them. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at various areas of our lives where God calls us to a commitment. And what, what making a commitment in that arena of our life would look like and, and how um, it not only honors God, but it, but it, it builds us. Today, what I want to do is I want you to consider some of your deepest con- commitments. And to do that, I want us to th- think about this passage that, that Sashi read for us in, from 1 Kings. In, in 1 Kings 19, there's this prophet named Elijah. And he's getting old and he's coming to the end of his prophetic ministry. And it's time to select someone to carry on that role. And so in chapter 19, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing, Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, this is a very dramatic um, scene. Elijah's an old man. He's coming to the end of his prophetic ministry. Um, He's standing in the field and there's plowing going on and 11 yoke of oxen go by. And then here comes the 12th and Elisha's driving that 12th pair. And Elijah walks up to him and he takes his cloak. And and this cloak is is a symbol of... of God's calling on Elijah, the, the ministry that Elijah has, his, his life's work. And he takes his cloak and he puts it around Elisha. And the meaning is clear. Basically, he's saying to Elisha, God has a call on your life and God's call on you is to become his prophet. So what's Elisha going to do? I mean, if there are a lot of details that this leaves out for me. You know, if, if I were thinking about taking a job like this, I'd want to know what the, you know, what the health plan was like. Um, you know, how many days vacation do you get? 
you know, Elijah is a prophet, and he's asking Elisha to become a prophet, and so is there some prophet sharing going on? Um, there's a lot of detail that we don't, Lena just got it. Um, there, there's a lot of detail that we don't get in this text, but what we do get in this text is that Elisha has 12 teams of oxen which in that culture means that he was a staggeringly wealthy man. That means that he had all kinds of opportunities ahead of him. He was the golden boy. He could have any woman in this village that he wanted. He had all of this out in front of him, but now he's being challenged to leave all of this and attach himself to this penniless preacher and face a life of opposition and danger and sacrifice. That's the commitment. But what if something better comes along? Elisha just has one request. He says, let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye and then I will come to you. That sounds super reasonable to me. Right? But then... Elijah gives him kind of this edgy response. He says, go back. What have I done to you? And I can hear the wheels in Elijah's mind turning. He's thinking, okay, this guy with all this opportunity in front of him, he's going to go home to mommy and daddy. And they're going to remind him about the trust fund. They're going to remind him about the keys to the car. They're going to remind him about the vacation home and I'll probably never see him again. But he says, go back. Do what you got to do. Now, I think this is very important because what he's doing is he's giving Elisha space to decide. There's no manipulation going on. There's no pressure. He's just giving him space. He's saying, look, here's the call of God on your life. Now you decide. And over the next seven weeks, that's what we want to do in here. We want to look at these arenas in our life and we want to say, okay, here's the call of God on us. Now decide. Are we going to commit to following him in this arena? Or not. And there's no pressure. There's no manipulation. It's just, here's the deal. Decide. That's what Elijah gives Elisha opportunity to do. Well, Elisha decides to say yes. He comes back and he says to Elijah, I'm all set. There's just one more thing I have to do. And I love this. Verse 21. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Guys, he burns the plow. You know that, what that means? He's all in. He slaughters the oxen. The oxen don't like that part of the story. But he slaughters the oxen. Do you know how many people you can feed with two oxen, much less 24. A side of beef is huge. 
But what Elisha is saying is, I'm all in. Here's the idea. He's going to offer a sacrifice to God that represents his commitment, that expresses that he's really offering his life as a sacrifice to God. And he decides to turn this sacrifice into a party. And so he gives, you know, he has this barbecue and he gives the meat to all the people. Guys, one of the best things that you can do if you're really serious about keeping a commitment is to go public with it. And that's what Elisha does. Elisha goes public. He goes and he kisses mom and dad. He, and if, you know, slaughtering the, the oxen wasn't enough and, and kissing mom and dad wasn't enough and throwing this big party wasn't enough and going public wasn't enough, he does this thing that I think is so significant. He burns the plow. There's no going back. When Elijah Elijah leaves and Elisha is all alone and he starts having doubts, he remembers, but I can't go back because I burned the plow. When those boys mock him, which they will, and he calls down these bears to chase them and then maul them, Um, he's got to be thinking, man, I'm never going to be a man of God. That's probably not a a good thing for a prophet to do. Will I ever make it, get it right? Then he remembers, yeah, but I can't go back. I burned the plow. When the king wants to kill him and when the Arameans surround him and when he's starving because of famine and when the, the... Israel hates him so much that he weeps at his failure. When he's second-guessing himself, he comes to this place where he says, yeah, but I can't go back because I burned the plow. Friends, he's all in. That's commitment. Some of you know the story of Hernan Cortez who came from Spain with 500 soldiers and 100 sailors on 11 ships. And, you know, when they all landed in Mexico, there was uncertainty and fear among all, the, you know, all these guys. And, and so what was Cortez's, you know, charge to them? Burn the ships, right? That's kind of a big motivational speaker kind of thing. But because we're big on, on the truth thing here, I need to speak to a couple of points. First of all, they didn't actually burn the ships. They scuttled most of them. They kept one of them so that they could take the riches back and maybe some of the leaders if it didn't turn out okay. And also we need to recognize that Cortez did not treat the Aztecs very well. People who are, were already in the new world. Now the reason why it's important for us to remember that is because commitment for commitment's sake is not worth anything. You see, if we commit ourselves to the wrong things, 
some very bad things can happen. Um, any football fans? Go Cowboys. Um, so we're in the playoffs, right? We, as in all of us, are in the playoffs. If a football player commits himself to winning the Super Bowl and has this, this overwhelming commitment to win the Super Bowl, but has non-commitment to his wife, or if a businessman has this unquenchable commitment to, to being a success in his business, but has a quenchable commitment to his family. There's nothing to be lauded in that. Ultimate commitment to a non-ultimate value is called idolatry. But when a human being makes an outrageous commitment to a noble calling of the supremely worthy God, when an ordinary human being says, I don't care how hard it is, I don't care how high the cost, I'm not going back, I'm not turning around, I've, I've barbecued the oxen and I've burned the plow. When a human being makes that kind of commitment, to the loving creator God, a power is released in that person that enables them to make an impact on this planet that goes far beyond mere human capacity. So I want to ask you today, where is God calling you to burn the plow? Maybe it's in your relational or sexual life. Maybe you're single and you need to say in a pickup, hookup culture, I am not going to have sexual intimacy with anyone outside of the commitment, the covenant of marriage. I'm going to burn the plow. Maybe you're married. But, but that marriage commitment has gotten a little shaky. Maybe the, the feelings have faded a little bit. And maybe you need to say, you know what? I'm going to listen better. I'm going to give of myself more generously. I'm going to fight honestly. I'm going to make up. I won't go surfing where I shouldn't be surfing on the internet. I won't go flirting in a bar. I won't escape in a bottle or with a screen. I made a promise for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. I'm burning the plow. Guys, we need to say that. Wives, we need to say that. If you're a parent, maybe it's your commitment to your child. I was reading an article about a corporate mission the other day, and, and the author said that the, that the corporation has become, um, has become what the family was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And I thought, no, it hasn't. And you know how you know that? Because when you get a pink slip, and you walk into your boss and say, hey, you can't do that because we're family. What's your boss going to say? 
Yeah, we were family yesterday. Today, you're fired. Right? That's how, that's how corporations and family are different. You might want to write that down. That's just something. See, what makes family a family is not the birth of a child. What makes family a family is a promise. I'm your dad. I'm your mom. You might do anything. You might betray my values. You might deny my God. You might break my heart. But I'm still your dad. And I'm still going to love you no matter what. So parents, maybe work or maybe disappointment or maybe anger or, or something else has gotten in the way and clouded your thinking and, and your commitment to your children has, has been lax. And maybe you need to just say, no, I'm going to burn the plow. I'm going to commit to my kids. There's a lot of different areas. Maybe it has to do with finances or friendship or growing in community. Maybe like Elisha, God is calling you to make your life an act of service to him. But my question to you this morning is, where is God asking you to burn the plow? You know, I think it's, it's strange how so many people who live for so, they live for so much freedom and they get to the end of their lives and they, and they can't remember what their life was about. You know, they, they, they can't remember what they did with all the money that they were free to make and spend. They can't remember all the time that they were so busy protecting. They, they can't remember the, the, the relationships that they were so free to exit. In the end, people who don't commit to anything end up with a life committing committed to nothing. You see, guys, it's not in our freedom that we find ourselves. It's in our commitments. I am who I am because of my commitment to my wife. Because of my commitment to my daughters and my son. Because of my commitment to this community of faith, to my, to my good friends, and above all, because of my commitment to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you hear this and what you feel inside is, I'm, I'm really not a good commitment keeper. I've just blown it too many times. I get that. I wrestle with that. I made a commitment to do something starting this new year, and I'm eight days in, and I hadn't gotten there yet. And that's why I asked the question I asked to begin with, what resolution have you made that you've already broken? Because here's the thing that we need to understand. When I blow my commitment on January 1, I get the chance to begin again on January 2. When I blow off my vow at 
10 a.m., I get the chance to start over at 10.01. You know why? Because we serve a God of grace. We serve a God of the second chance and third and fourth. We serve a God who is a God of commitments. And when we fail, when we fall down, when we do not keep our commitment to him, he keeps his commitments to us all the more at the cost of a cross that Jesus died on. See, the big commitment, the ultimate commitment a human being can make, the one that is worth our life and death, is the commitment to love and follow this Jesus who is infinitely committed to you. And if you're visiting this morning because maybe one of your New Year's resolutions was to try the church thing, um, Hey, we're thrilled that you're here. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're just kind of checking out this thing about faith. If that's you, then I hope that you will consider this. I hope that you will consider the the power of commitments in a human life and the possibility that a commitment to a loving creator God can change you and be the biggest decision you would ever make. The greatest decision you would ever make. And if you're part of our church, if you're a follower of Jesus, guys, I have to tell you, I hope, I pray, I ache that we would be a church of people who are all in. That we won't just be folks who show up on Sundays and, and you know, sing some songs and maybe have a little emotional lift and have... I have Keith tell us that God loves you no matter what, which is true. So that then you can go out and live the same foolish life next week that you lived last week and come back in and be told again, God loves you no matter what, which is still true. See, God does love you no matter what, but he loves you so much that he wants you to step into this life of commitment so that you can experience the power of, And freedom that comes with that. James talked about, um, a few minutes ago, during the announcements, he talked about this um, discussion series that we're going to be doing uh, through the month of January called Gray Matters. And I hope you got the double entendre there, that there's some things that we wrestle with that are gray. Um, or Paul talks about them in Romans 15 as disputable matters. There's some things that, that we're going to disagree on. And we're going to talk about this Tuesday night response to government, and which is pretty timely, I would say, um, given, well, given. Um, um, and then the next week, we're going to talk about... Um, Sex matters. We're going to talk about you know um, homosexuality and uh, sexual attraction and identification. And then the the following two weeks, we're going to talk about race, race issues and and what racial reconciliation looks like and how we can get there. And as James said, and I love the way he put it, that that we're not trying to to come together with one mind, but we are trying to come together with one heart. Because at the end of the day, we're going to probably leave 
all of these conversations still with differing opinions on stuff. And it's not, it's not our goal to try to say, this is the Trinity line. No, our goal is that we become better disciples who are, who are loving God and loving our neighbor well. That's our commitment. And that's what we're going to wrestle with these issues uh, about so that we can come together and be better lovers of God and lovers of our neighbors. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up is because we are committed to that. We are all in on that. And we're not going to walk away from the tough issues. But we're going to walk toward them so that we can hopefully come together. Because at the end of the day, Jesus said in John 17 that the world will know who he is and why he was sent. Why? If we are one. If we are unified. And so that's our heart. Because we want to be committed. We want to be a church that, that um, responds to this outrageous commitment to follow Jesus. Not because we're these overzealous, you know, better than other people types. But for one reason. Because Jesus came to earth, creator God of the universe loved us so much that he took the form of a human being and the person of Jesus. He came to earth and he died on a cross for our sin and then was raised from the dead so that we might be in eternal relationship with our loving God. That's why we do it. And for those of you commitment phobic types that are, you know, waiting for a better offer, can I tell you, there's not a better offer out there. And the fact of the matter is, if Jesus were here, he's humble enough that he would say, hey, if you get a better offer than mine, take it. But can I let you in on a little secret? There's not a better offer coming. There hasn't been one and there will never be one. When the creator of the universe says, I love you so much, I want to be in intimate relationship with you. And in order to do that, I will die for you. Friends, it doesn't get better than that. The call of Jesus is to commit to him and let him unleash the power of commitment in your life so that then you will really experience freedom. But here's the thing. The only way that you get to that place is to burn the plow. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Well, I thank you for your incredible grace in our lives. I thank you for your condescension that you would leave the throne room of heaven and walk this planet so that you might experience what we do so that you might be the ultimate sacrifice that we need. Lord, I pray that as we recognize that you are all in, that we would go all in. And Lord, I pray for the, the person here this morning who... Um, 
may just be considering this whole uh, faith thing. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might draw them to yourself today and that that even in this moment, they, they could say, yes, I choose to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray this for your name's sake. Amen.